0: This week on Invasion of the Podcast, Amazon is offering two-day prime delivery to Middle
1: Earth. El Goro is here to raise the ratio of Midwest luchadors.
0: And I ask questions about planes, trains, and automobiles. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon: the arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening.
1: Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of Earth, attention.
0: It's the invasion
1: of the podcast. podcast. The
0: whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we're trying to take over the world one listener at a time. I am Paul, and I am joined with special guest this evening, El Goro of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast.
1: Ah, thanks for having me on the show, man. I was jamming out to some sci-fi surf rock and really digging it.
0: Yeah, I think the name of that piece is uh, called Rocket Attack, and it's like—I don't know—my voice cracked there, but it, yeah, it felt perfect for the show.
1: <laughs> well, it's um, a very natural time in your life. where Very <laughs> vast changes will be—you'll be noticing them, and girls will start to look differently, and your voice will change. It happens.
0: Yeah. I'm just, I'm hoping cause it's, you know, I, I, I'm going on 40. It's about time. Something's about to change. <laughs> so, uh, so as you guys have heard before, I, uh, uh was so nice as to let me onto his show in the summer to talk about the fly and, uh, slither. And that was a lot of fun. And I just wanted to have him on the show because I feel like I, I, this is an admission of truth. I, I, I love podcasts. Clearly I do them and I hope people listen to them. Uh, I don't listen to a lot of them. Like, I don't listen to many. Like, I know, like, I know, like, uh, our friend Kevin, that's all he does when he's, uh, you know, driving around listening to podcasts. So I have, I have, like, uh, I have your show, uh, Criminal, which I, I really dig that. And then, then there's, like, another one I listen to that's movie related. So I have a hard time committing to a podcast. But, I do say I listen to yours because I actively enjoy it. Aside from the fact that you know that I know you and I I like you as a person, it's an engaging and great show, and I want others to understand what they're missing if they're not checking it out.
1: Oh, thank you, man. I'm I'm terrible at accepting compliments, so I'll just say thank you.
0: Perfect, right? So, (laughs) well, because I I feel like, and um, and not to get too off course, as is want to do with the show, um, I'm sure that you've listened to your fair amount of podcasts over you know the years. Oh yeah, There, there is. You ever get like a, that kind of smell test within like the first five ten minutes of something where you're like you know what I don't know about this, and it's just, it's
1: very you can kind of tell. Uh, turn me on to certain shows or people that reach out to me because i I've been doing this a couple of years and I always try whenever somebody reaches out and say hey I have a show you know will you listen to it I'll listen to it I'll give it a, a complete episode and listen to but yeah. Sometimes you can tell within a couple minutes that, um, not that the show is bad, but it may not just not be for you. I mean, I, there are certain shows that are very well regarded that the particular style of the show just doesn't appeal to me.
0: And that's okay. (laughs) And that is okay. It's just, I I just feel like there is so much, uh, that. Anybody can make a podcast about anything, and i and clearly I'm proof of that. Uh, but
1: uh, <laughs> shoot, I'm, I'm proof of that. I've been doing it for almost eight years. <laughs>
0: uh, I just, right. you know, I just feel like you know you're passionate about something. That's great. You're knowledgeable about something. That's great. I, I do feel like sometimes people need to take a step back and 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 look at like structure. And I think that's what. Uh, not to get too far into the nuts and bolts, but yours has uh, you know like I I know you always strive for the great conversation and you you strive for the engagement. And I feel like that's what sometimes people overlook when they really get excited about something.
1: So yeah, I think the the only thing that really can turn me off about shows is I can tell that the people are passionate for what they're talking about, but they're not letting me know how passionate they are. You can sense it below the words and maybe it's just because they're a little nervous. Maybe it's because they're not very expressive. Maybe they just haven't found their voice yet. But there, to me, there is nothing more engaging than to listen to somebody excitedly and knowledgeably talk about something they absolutely love. And that could be something that I have no interest in, but can develop an interest just to, by listening to the enthusiasm of it. I mean, kind of t- uh, tying back into a little offhanded joke you threw up on the social media about uh, over the top. There is a very excellent documentary called Pulling uh, John. Did you ever see that documentary? No. It's about the world of competitive arm wrestling, and oh. it features one, a guy who wasn't over the top because they pulled in real professional arm wrestlers, which I didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> it's, it's not a world I'm all that interested in, but because it was, you could sense their passion about it and because it was, the story was told well, it became one of the most fascinating documentaries. I mean, I put that up there with King of Kong, and it could be a great double feature between those two.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, you're right. Like, it's it's if it's presented well and structured well. Like, I own um I own Spellbound, which is from like probably over ten years ago. It's about it followed like five kids to the to Washington D.C. for the spelling bee, Mm, and it's just really compelling because you see all five of these families and and where they're coming from, and these kids are all their own characters, and it's just a really good story. I can't spell to save my life. But I appreciate like the effort and the commitment, you know. So, so yeah, I, I I agree with you completely about that.
1: Now I'm just imagining the next level of competitive spelling bees called Spell for Your Life, where you will be put into a jigsaw-esque scenario, and if you happen to misspell onomatopoeia wrong, your pe- family will suffer.
0: I I was expecting something involving arm wrestling as well. With uh, we could throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'd watch that.
1: Uh, John think... Brzync will come in and yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that, that, I like that a lot. Um, there we go. So, okay. Uh, before, because I feel like we could talk about spelling bees and arm wrestling all night long, and it'd be wonderful. Uh, let's just go ahead. Let's just get to some news, and then we'll get off to wherever we're going to go. Let's do it. Good news, everyone. So, Amazon... Uh, now is announced that they're going to do a Lord of the Rings uh, series, a TV series, through Amazon Prime, and I—I um, I don't know how I feel about that. Hmm. I mean. Yeah. Well, go ahead. No, it's just I—I I, I am like. I've read the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I read The Hobbit. I, I love The Hobbit. I thought it was a wonderful little book. And The Lord of the Rings is good, too. It's just that I, I read it in middle school, going into high school, and my, um, my fantasy IQ wasn't very high. And that's some dense like, world building going on in those books. And I like them, but they just felt like they took forever to get to, to what was going on. And mm-hmm. I understand that's kind of the point, that you're supposed to enjoy the world from point A to point B. And I, I saw the, the first three movies. I haven't watched any of the new ones. So, I don't know how I feel about another a TV series again going towards this material.
1: Yeah, I mean, considering the age of the source material, I mean, those things were written post World War II or right around the time of World War II, if I'm getting my dates uh, accurate on that, and uh, really hit their peak popularity throughout the 50s and 60s, at least with their first wave of popularity. And yes, we have had the more recent filmic ad- adaptations. As for myself, I'm not, I, I could have gone the rest of my life without seeing another Lord of the Rings adaptation. I mean, we technically have two with the animated ones and the uh, Peter Jackson films, not to mention the various uh, versions of The Hobbit that are out there. But, uh, I don't know, could be interesting. I wonder why, I, I wonder at the whether it would have been better if they had looked to another fantasy Story because there are certainly some some excellent ones out there that could be uh, see some interesting adaptations and if they're trying to capitalize on a soon to be post Game of Thrones world because let's be fair if they've just now acquired Game of, uh, Lord of the Rings right now by the time they get it done that'll probably be at the right as HBO's uh, Game of Thrones is ending right
0: and you would think so I mean you know because there, there's nothing even announced in terms of like stories or this this is not even like pre development.
1: Yeah. So it'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. I I refuse to have the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, that's going to be crap, but right now my enthusiasm is kind of uh, just on a, huh, level.
0: Yeah, I just I, I think I think Amazon is more buying the name in terms of recognition. And I think that um and if anything's been shown recently that people will be excited for anything Lord of the Rings related because the the new um was it Shadows of War game that EA put out. Um mm-hmm. I played Shadow Shadow of Mordor and it was a fun game. It didn't really feel like Lord of the Rings to me, you know, in terms of like it's you're trying to put like you're trying to put like Batman Arkham Knight on top of Lord of the Rings and it was kind of a weird, you know decision but i i don't know i don't know i just feel like in this day and age the name is what's going to draw people to it and then hopefully they have content to back it up just a, a, it's kind of like the opposite of when hbo took the gamble on westworld like mm-hmm. who knew westworld i mean other than people that like michael creighton that's not a known commodity and they took a gamble and people are now super excited about that well i feel, feel like lord of the rings has a huge built-in expectation and fan base
1: And, see, I think one of the wisest ways that Amazon could conceivably go with this is whether or not they've picked up the name or just the naming rights, so the idea that they can make stories set in Middle Earth, or whether or not they've picked up adaptation rights, which means they must keep to the material in the books. Because if they uh, have picked up the rights to make something associated with Lord of the Rings, and they put out their Tales of Middle Earth series, that could actually work very well, particularly if they're able to, in a little way, emulate the visual style of the Peter Jackson films, which are only, what, uh, well, over a decade, almost, Jesus, almost 20 years. <laughs> I feel old. Um, but still aren't too terribly f- far removed from the public consciousness, especially with the Hobbit films being even more recent. So if, uh, if Amazon could simply do a, these are the stories that were going on in Middle Earth around the trilogy or, you know, before or after, things like that. They might be able to have some space to operate in that won't see a whole lot of fan backlash.
0: Yeah, I I I agree. I just, um, you know, I, I just feel like every time there's a franchise, someone has to be developing something for it, regardless of Lord of the Rings or, you know, Harry Potter or whatever, and it just. I, it doesn't leave much space open for, like you said, like other there I mean th- how many how many different fantasy series are there out there? There's probably three more that have been written while we've been talking. You know, oh, like tons, there's yeah. you know, so many. And I know like like even MTV has the Shannara Chronicles. It's like that's not <laughs> like and I know the Shannara series that that was kind of like respected. It wasn't like you know in the same echelon, but you know. And I know that there was that really poorly attempted Wheel of Time series that they had to air one episode to still keep the rights or something. Oh jeez. You know, I don't and,
1: even remember that one. Yeah, it
0: just it was it was like snuck on like one channel, like eleven o'clock at night, and just to try to get it out there to show that they were producing it. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of good. I just. Much like the Dark Tower, which I know that that's supposed to be a TV series as well. I feel like there's other things that can exist that people can be excited about, and that's kind of showing my cards a little bit about what we're going to talk about later. But it does kind of blend in with that.
1: Sure, and it's again, you can understand why they went with this. I mean, in the terms of of fantasy series, Lord of the Rings is still has the largest not. Uh, well, knowledge amongst uh, the average viewer. there's It's a tremendously recognizable brand name. And so you can understand why Amazon would necessarily want to go with that rather than risk a unsure prospect of adapting something else or, uh, God forbid, creating their own <laughs> unique property. But yeah. um, I don't know. It's It'll be interesting to see how the pro- project develops. My hype is not strong, but neither is uh, my d- dismissiveness. We'll just have to see how it shapes up though i will still continue to hope that somebody will eventually make an adaptation of the various books that david gemmel has written because when it comes to uh s- fantasy i much prefer the more uh muscular blood and mud kind of fantasy that david gemmel writes as opposed to the slightly more well let's be fair chaste uh fantasy that was that uh, tolkien was was his bread and butter
0: well yeah i feel like now we're ready for like some conan the barbarian like actual Conan the Barbarian stuff. I feel like that's more. I think Game of Thrones has set up the people to be ready for like brutal and dark, right? Mm-hmm. I bet I mean I guess whatever. I guess they got to appeal to them, but not that. I'm saying Amazon should make a Conan series, but um, that'd be interesting. But um, yeah, yeah it just so <laughs> to to transition from that to uh, there's the announcement that uh, that Ryan Johnson said there's another Star Wars trilogy in the in the in the making. So talking about franchises that keep going forward. Um, I'm excited for this just in the sense that this is one technically that will not have any, supposedly any Skywalkers in it and none of the characters from the new trilogy.
1: Mm-hmm. So. That's what I was hearing about, which has a lot of people speculating that they might go full Knights of the Old Republic with this. But then again, anytime anybody talks about doing a Star Wars movie, not as part of the main uh, series, everybody's asking for Knights of the Old Republic.
0: <laughs> well, I, because the, the the first game was that story was really, really, really good. And that was a really, really inter- was. an interesting world. And you go so far back that you, you don't have to mess with canon. You can, mm-hmm. you know, and I i would like to see that. Honestly, though, I'd like to see something completely we're not expecting. Like, I don't need to have all this baked in, like, expectation and lore like, it's, this is supposed to be, you know, this huge universe, and it seems like it's only full of, like, seven people. So I would love <laughs> to see something, like, not, I mean, you can't do Star Wars completely differently, but I, don't, I just, I mean, what would you do with a film that's not Rogue One that has nothing to do with Jedi? Like, you know, like, what would you do? I think that'd be really interesting.
1: Yeah, and it's one of those things that... I I welcome the opportunity for them to explore other thematic territory, yet at the same time if you deviate too far from the core Star Wars concept, is it really Star Wars anymore? Or is it just another story set in a galaxy far, far away? So while I would like them to kind of branch out, I would like them to explore territory that is now wide open since the decanonization of a lot of the old material. I still think that they should remain essentially true to the spirit of Star Wars. They can potentially go in darker directions like they did with Rogue One, because I think Rogue One walked a a really fine line between the pulpy space opera stuff that we associate with those films and kind of engaging with a sort of the darker sensibilities. But it still felt essentially like a Star Wars movie.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. and I, I feel like with, with him announcing this before um, 8 comes out, uh, it makes me wonder how stoked Disney is about 8 in terms of like they must be really thinking this movie is going to be lights out to give him the go ahead to, to start a whole talking about another trilogy even before the ninth film is made.
1: Well, on the other hand, I mean, Disney did sort of tip their hand about the fact that their uh, aims for the immediate future is that they're going to be releasing a Star Wars movie a year. And by putting it, uh, announcing this second trilogy, we don't, I wonder if this is going to be the sort of fill-in movies. You know, we have this, ha- the Han Solo film coming up. Uh, did they say they were going to do a Boba Fett film?
0: I, it's people, there's a speculation they haven't announced the third one. It's like that or Obi-Wan or... People keep guessing there's nothing okay. confirmed.
1: So perhaps that, that's what they're going to do is kind of to give the audience a roadmap that, you know, they might do some of these standalone movies, but, uh, they will still have an eye towards, uh, perhaps using these alternating years as a way to do this second trilogy of films. Yeah,
0: maybe I, I just, um, I, I said this before. Seven, I'm glad that the, that exists because it kind of got the the train back on the track. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's a, it's a fun movie. I, I do feel like it leans too heavy into what came before. That that's you know people's opinions might be different. I, I mean I was told people I was more excited for eight because I feel like that's the one that as long as it doesn't go beat for beat like Empire, this should be the one that shows us what new Star Wars looks like. And I'm yeah. really hoping that that this is the the This is the direction
1: and i'm i'm continually grateful for 7 if only just for establishing a new visual style that has permeated throughout rogue 1 and looks to continue to permeate throughout 8 where it felt like for the first time that these were real people that initial landing uh, scene of the stormtroopers or the first order troopers whatever they are on the on the desert planet uh, and that whole that that the lead up to that sequence that was the first time it it actually felt like what i was seeing was real that what I was seeing wasn't staged. That there was that the the lack of artifice, which is ironic because there's so much so much more di- uh, visual visual effects in this one compared to what they were doing in the original trilogy. But they added an element of uh, viscer- viscerality to it that I I certainly certainly appreciate, and I hope. Um, as you said, now that they they've established themselves, now that we have proved the viability of these new star Wars films and that people's hype is pretty well up that they can finally say, okay, now this is what, now that we've done the film that sort of establishes us in this world. Now we can uh, see where we can take it.
0: Yeah. I I just, I, I feel like I'm hoping for a rug pull out, Like, moment, like, because I mean, again, I don't want this to be exactly Empire. I just said that. I guess I'm hypocritical, but (laughs) like, how can you? I want people coming out of this one surprised by a Star Wars movie, not not comforted by a Star Wars movie, which is what I felt like, like Seven was. Seven was that, like, welcome back. You know, we got J.J. here. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to start just adding a bunch of, like, Jedi kids for no reason. He's not going to name everybody just a bunch of vowels and consonants. It's fine. You know, so... But I feel like this is the one that needs to... This needs to be the one that puts people back on their heels and wonder, really, what's coming next? And I just... Mm-hmm. I I hope I really do. Like I feel like my Star Wars love is not as big as others but I feel it's been waning. Like just because I, and again this is going to feel in our conversation later we're getting so much of it now that there's no you just you can't let you can't sit there and ruminate on it cuz there's the next one coming where you had you know the the original trilogy for how many years before another film was made like how much would those movies get soaked in and looked at and talked about and now we're getting them like well if disney wants it every 6 months but it seems to be every year
1: yeah, well, and that that was always their plan, you know, film a year. And to me, it, it didn't the, the concept of doing a film of year it doesn't bother me so much. If only t- simply because for the longest time, my essential Star Wars experience was informed by the expanded universe, and I was reading the books, I was playing the games, I was invested within Star Wars. And so now, essentially, what I have is just more cinematic stories that I was getting in the form of novels that I was getting in the form of comic books that I was getting in the form of video games. So to me, Star Wars has always been more than the movies. So the fact that they're piling more onto it, it doesn't bother me so much.
0: Oh well, that, that that's fair, and I I will admit that my uh, my knowledge only goes so far as uh, the films, uh, having having friends around that know a lot more than I do, and and, and, and the Knights of the Old Republic. So I, I don't have I you know never really delved into the comics or the or the, the books that much, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, I just I feel like before I guess it was expected that that Disney was going to announce something, but it's just it it seems like they must be really, really excited or really happy with what's coming for that director to say, by the way, there's another three coming. But but again, any one of us probably could have called that.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: So anyway, so we go from Lord of the Rings to Star Wars to something much darker and bleaker. Uh, and I um, and I had mentioned this to El Goro before we started recording, because uh, we don't normally dig into a lot of the... the uh, the, the bad subjects in terms of like, you know, the heated ones here. Uh, we talk about a lot of people dying. It just seems to be that's what's happened the past two years, but um,
1: rest in peace, Hyperion. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke that only people who listen to strange highways. Yeah, get. Right.
0: And I, and I love, I love that it's beating a dead horse. That's why I love that joke. Um,
1: so if you uh, ever make shirts, you just got to have Hyperion on there. <laughs> I, I like it.
0: Um, so, it seems like every every fifteen minutes right now another you know person's coming forward saying hey someone I worked with in the past did something that when you know is, is you know not correct you know, like you know sexual harassment uh, unwanted uh, you know approaches abuse all these terrible things and and my my reason I'm bringing this up is not to to dig into that portion of it because I mean. People that do bad things, they should be found out, they should be confronted, and they should be dealt with. That's that's you know, there's no there's no um there's no gray area for that. If you if you screw up and if you treat co-workers like that inappropriately or other people in general inappropriately, you need to be punished. That's I yep. think
1: should be agreed. And it should encourage an environment where people think, Well, maybe I can't get away with this sort of behavior moving forward.
0: Right? Like it's just like, hey, let's I'm sitting at my workplace. Should I do this? Probably not, you know, like I don't know. Like I, it's like you know, I could take my pants off. Well, should you? You know, um, not that not that it's happened at work. Um, I just gotta clarify, but or or on the podcast that hasn't happened here either. Um, my question to you is that with with what we know about who we know and and what's been going on, where as a person that enjoys you know media in all forms, whether it be movies, stand up comedy, books, whatever, are are you people have like said okay fine we're done with this person we're not supporting anything else they do where does that leave the art that they've produced like Mm -hmm. like, where where does that leave that in terms of like how you view it can it still be enjoyed can it be enjoyed with an asterisk can it be you know completely burned down like we're never going to talk about it again that's the part that is interesting to me because i feel like Over time, when you go back and look throughout history and some of the the people that have done things that that are still being talked about, we know that they didn't have the best personal lives. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, their art is still held up. Yeah. So I guess my question to you is, how do you feel about that?
1: Well, it's an issue that I've struggled with for quite some time, and I've explored it in certain capacities over the years. One of the things that kind of kicked me off on it uh, a little while back was a discussion of Roman Polanski on my podcast, where I discussed uh, Rosemary's Baby and the Ninth Gate, two films of his that I quite enjoy. At the same time, I find Roman Polanski to be a repellent human being. And anytime I bring him up, I'm always careful to point out Roman Polanski who raped a 14-year-old girl and fled the country because of it. Now, the other thing that I really bring up on my show and is kind of the guiding philosophy of me in my engagement with any kind of art, is what I refer to as the primacy of subjectivity. To me, in the realm of art, it exists simply in subjective terms. Art only exists in the interaction between the artist and the subject. Therefore, there is no objective way to approach art. Everything is predicated upon one subjective response. What I find appealing may not be what you find appealing, but the fact that you don't find it appealing should have no impact on my enjoyment of. Of that thing extending on to that the art that is made whether it be art that's made by a saint or whether it is art being made by a completely abhorrent human being their intentions behind that art and the things that they put into their lives surrounding the art also doesn't necessarily have any impact on your response to that art we find movies at so many different times in our lives and if you're anything like me, the, you will f- have a life that is defined by these great moments of interacting with art, whether it be movies, whether it be a great book, whether it be any number of things where it has such a profound impact on your life. It transforms you in some way and revisiting that art throughout your life can tr- uh, either transport you back to t- to the f- time when you first experienced it or it can be recolored and recontextualized by, your, by yourself now. And no matter how strong the artist, they don't have ownership over that. They created a piece of art and they put it out into the world. Therefore, to me, if the artist ends up being repellent, it it doesn't necessarily mean that it should color your response to the art. And again, this also feeds into the whole subjectivity thing. If somebody finds themselves completely unable or unwilling to engage with any art that's created by a... Evil human being. That is perfectly legitimate. We each have to draw our own lines. But to me, Roman Polanski did make great art. He is a he is a horrible human being but he doesn't own my response to that art. And it gets even trickier when you deal with cinema because you're dealing with films that are, as much as uh, some people like to reduce them down to having a single Arthurial voice and the auteur theory and all that other thing, movies are an inherently collaborative experience and collaborative piece of art. Should we condemn the craftsmanship of all those people that contributed to the film, whether it be the director of photography, whether it be the editor, whether it be the writer, whether it be the actors, simply because the director was bad or one of the actors was bad? Some people are willing to do that. For me, I try not to. And my approach is not better than anybody else's. And I admit there are times where even I find myself unable to engage with the output of an artist. Uh, Victor Salva, is to bring up an example, the gentleman who directed the Jeepers Creepers film and also is a convicted pedophile because he raped a a 14-year-old boy or 12-year-old boy, a very young boy back in the 1980s. I can't watch his stuff, but I will never come down on anybody who can I don't believe – one thing I definitely do not believe, I do not believe in casting judgments on those that will continue to engage with the art. I don't believe in trying to shame people, and I also don't believe that by engaging with the art of a bad person, that that serves as a tacit hand wave of their bad deeds in their life.
0: So I, that's you know you put that way better than I possibly could. I, and so I feel like you mentioned cinema. I I am curious though about other media because because you, you mentioned you know cinema like and films are a collaborative effort. But then if sure. you reduce that reduce that reduce that to like, um, and this as this example not like let's say like Stephen King, one of my favorite you know uh, authors of all time, admitted, sure. admitted admitted drug user, admitted drunk, admitted not good person for portions of his life. And he came out the other end, you know, you know bruises and all, and he learned from it, and you know doesn't want to do that again. it's just so that's one person putting out output, and mm-hmm. you you can see that in like in The Shining, other books he's written where he he's blatantly being upfront about the problems that he has, um, which those those are not the same level as you know as, as rape or pedophilia. Let me be clear about that. But there's still major character flaws that could cause harm and hurt to other people. Um, I, I just I feel like that, and also like music, where it's, it's it is is just if it's not one person, it's just a handful of people. Those feel like those are like Michael Jackson had a troubled life. People still like Michael Jackson, you know, sure. and, and and but the the, the things that he is has, has been accused of, and I know that still that we'll never really know. There was a lot of smoke there, maybe not the fire that we we thought we saw, but people are still able to be like, well, I, I like Thriller. And, yeah. I, and I wonder if it's just a, a matter of because the art happened at a, a point long ago that when something f- comes out later, that you're able to separate yourself between the two.
1: Well, I think one of the things that can trip up a lot of people is when you start defining your identity about a bit predicated upon the art that you enjoy. So it's the idea that when you enjoy something so much, it becomes a part of you and when something is revealed about the people who created it that they come that they've done evil things then in some ways that colors the art and then in some ways it colors the people that enjoy the art i mean one one perfect example of this if we want to uh, look at authors is hp lovecraft who, of course, defined uh, cosmic horror, or to be more accurately, he repackaged a lot of ideas from authors who came before him, um, Ambrose Bierce, uh, um, Arthur C. Mation, I think I might be messing up the name there, and, but he, he had a huge impact upon one of my favorite genres, horror. He was also a virulent racist and an anti-Semite and his work will reflect those very very racist worldviews i believe you can still read and enjoy lovecraft while at the same time acknowledging him for the racist and the regressive views that he had because even though those are present within his work it doesn't detract from the other things that he was writing. His whole work is not necessarily, no matter how much people want to tell you, uh, will kind of twist and take uh, limited examples of his work. His entire uh, work was not a racist screed. They, it was certainly present within his work. But it what there was also things that you can take other value from. You could take the, the value of the horror. You could take the value of the worldview, or at least the explosion of uh, imagination and, cos- and cosmic entities—the things that should not be—that all flows out of that. And I think that as a mature reader, you can still engage with art that comes from bad places and properly contextualize it within yourself if you choose to do so if you don't that's fine too because at the end of the day it's on you as long as you're not coming down on somebody else so i will never uh, get on somebody's case for not being able to uh separate the art from the artist just as i expect people not to get on my case just because some of the people whose art i enjoy happen to be terrible people. Because I, I can assure people, I can properly contextualize it, and my reading of uh, Lovecraft does not mean I endorse his uh, racist worldviews.
0: Yeah, I, well, that's, you yeah. <laughs> yeah that's fair I, <laughs> I, I don't know how to follow it, but of course of course we're not racist uh, that would be terrible um, so I well, just,
1: sometimes, I, sometimes you gotta say it no no, no absolutely
0: right it. like, like um, the only the, a much, a much um, not not as good metaphor as I always apply to this is that like my mom loved the doors growing up but Jim Morrison was not a good person
1: But he was a drunken
0: buffoon yeah but <laughs> still "Riders in the Storm is a great song you know and sure. it's like and it's hard to you know it's like well that guy made that but he also that also came out of something you know and mm-hmm. so just because the hey it's it's this will always be something that i'll turn over in my head over and over again and again jim morrison who knows what else he did uh we're talking about people that are you know being like i i, I also just i keep wanting to clarify that the acts that people are talking about are that you know you can't be like oh well they did that that's you know like you said with uh um uh, director uh, Rosemary's Baby, you just mentioned him. No, Roman Yes, the him. Same thing. And, and I, like. I but I'm just. I, I find it kind of. Odd that because this stuff's all coming out, a lot of it coming out right now with a lot of these artists, that like I just feel like there's gonna be like a statue of limitations in like 10-15 years where people will be like, you know what, that did happen, but I could go and and put this in and separate myself. But sure. but right now I feel like there's this like this immediate wall of like, we'll never ever talk about any of this ever again. And I don't know I, I mean, you're right, there's not really a an improper reaction. I I just I just wonder where the ultimate line is, but you know, it is a personal decision. So I guess there's, there's no solution on this podcast.
1: No, I mean, <laughs> there's going to be no solution in real life either. Anybody yeah. who claims to have a solution I think is uh, ultimately fooling themselves at best or trying to essentially tell people how to think and respond at worse. And that could be one of the, one of the biggest problems that I see coming out of this, that people will attempt to shame others for enjoying the art that they enjoy, not understanding that their enjoyment of it may be predicated upon a host of other things. It's something that arrives out of horror and uh, other forms of extreme entertainment, a lot of which that I enjoy. People derive so many different things from the art that that they watch, and something that might be repellent to one might be weirdly empowering to another person. You cannot know uh, what is going through somebody's mind when they engage with art. You might get a sense of it if they if they choose to express it. I mean, that's pretty much the motivation that I have for doing a podcast. So that's why we're having this conversation <laughs> here. But um, you cannot – and to try to uh, project all of these things upon them without even attempting to understand why they might be drawn to the material or why they might be able to make the separation or – You know why they can be okay with the work that is done by the uh, repellent person while at the same time not condoning their actions it's best at at the end of the day what i always encourage everybody is to just have a conversation with somebody don't immediately jump to any conclusions do not immediately jump down somebody's throat and, and try very hard not to pass a whole hell of a lot of judgment without at least having a conversation
0: yeah. And that, that, that's absolutely fair. So there you go, people, there's your, there's your intellectual moment. We're gonna have some more intellectual moments here later too, but I just, you know, I, again, it's the conversation that I wanted to have not necessarily, I the, clearly there's not going to be a you know, one size fits all answer to this. It's just that I feel there, there's something that just keeps gnawing at me every day, seeing more and more. I mean, it's, it's overdue, but mm-hmm. man, there's a lot there, you know, oh, and, yeah. it, and there's more coming. I know there's more coming.
1: Oh and, yeah! I mean, people do terrible things. People do a <laughs> lot of terrible things, and then when you add uh, power dynamics into that, where people think they can get away with doing terrible things, oh man! Yeah.
0: So, I guess we should transition from. We'll we'll just we'll just put a pin on that for for right now the the ongoing conversation, and then sure. let, let's just get into uh, let's get into the I don't know the 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 other stuff. And now for our feature presentation. <laughs> And the other stuff is I had no good transition talking about that. That's what the other is. That's thing all good. Was. I was like, how do you transition from that to be like, oh, okay. and speaking of um, abuse, I don't know. I got nothing.
1: Well, considering the majority of the transitions on my show are me saying, fuck it, let's go on to the next thing. So uh, you did better than I did.
0: <laughs> right. So um, and we've, we've kind of been moving in and out of this. Why, like, why I wanted to, to have you on the show here is like, so... I, I guess, um, I feel like with, with, with my podcast, with evasion of the podcast, we're, we're, I try to go broad in the sense of like, you know, different types of media, you know, video games, movies, comics, whatever. Um, and I know you focus on films, but I know that's not the only thing that you, you know, consume. Um, I, I guess I just, I'm trying to understand like you, you watch a lot of movies. You've watched probably more movies this year than I probably have in my entire life. Um, (laughs) and you keep track of them. And I'm always like, yep, that's like watching these Westerns that I'm doing for the blog. I feel like, well, I've watched 30 movies so far. That's about all I could t- say for the year. Um, how I guess, where was the origins for talk without rhythm? And have you seen your, your, uh, your old ultimate goal? Has it changed from day one to where it is now? Or like your vision for it? Like, I'm just trying to understand your approach to how you wanted to engage in all this, uh, in all the movies. I
1: think the real roots of it came out of just those old conversations you used to have with your friends. I mean, when I was a kid, we, and especially through high school, we had a group of friends that would get around every every day at lunchtime, and we would sit around and we would just talk about the stuff that we loved. And it, it extended into my work life. I had the good fortune of working with a lot of my friends, and we would just have these long-running conversations. And... Uh, Also, uh, growing up with a steady dose of uh, journalism that was done around the things I like, whether it be uh, comic book journalism in the pages of Wizard, whether it be movie journalism in the pages of stuff like Fangoria or Rue Morgue later on, there was a whole world of people that were speaking eloquently and knowledgeably about the things that I love. And I ate it all up. But all too often, I found myself thinking, well, they're not really reflecting me. But really, it was just that drive to have a conversation, to the drive to put out the things I love and say, "Hey, this this stuff's cool. You should watch this stuff." And you know, kind of parse out my my response to them. At no time do I think that you know my opinion is uh, all that educated or uh, worthwhile. But at the end of the day, I know it's mine. It's one of the things I, I tell a lot of people, especially people that are thinking about starting podcasts, that they should never be discouraged that be, the show that they're thinking of putting out, that it's been done. Because I'm telling you right now, podcasting has been around for so long. Practically any show you can come up with has been done. And then if you extend it even further into that, there are no real unique ideas. The only thing unique that you can bring to the show is your own personal view of things, your own subjective response to it, because everything that goes into your life leading up to the point that you engage with a piece of art, in this case, a movie is going to inform your viewing of that art. And this is something that keeps me going as uh, as I watch these films and I, uh, continue on having these conversations and I get the opportunity to speak with so many other people. It's my ever evolving response to cinema and i don't think that was my motivation when i started out you know to let's see where i'm going to be at in my uh in my cinematic knowledge in 8 years, 9 <laughs> years, 10 years or however long i decide to keep this going it was really just an opportunity to sit down with a buddy of mine the cancer man my original co-host and talk about movies but as i continue on now it's really just seeing where my responses are going, how they are morphing, how they are changing, and also challenging those little preconceptions I have, kind of refining my core philosophies, if if I can, uh, if I can even call them that, of how I respond to film. So, and in some ways, uh, providing a tonic against the dominant forms of film conversation that I find repellent, because there are quite a few uh, voices out there that are very popular, that. Uh, I think kind of they market on negativity and they do so in a way that's exaggerated in order to uh, present themselves as a character. And there came a time that it felt like that that was the dominant form of film uh, criticism. It was filled with snark. It was filled with exaggerated hyperbolic responses. And that's just something that I didn't like. And it's something that I think didn't have much value. And in no way do I think that my mine is the shining light uh, in the darkness of the, of that sort of thing. But if nothing else, at least I know I'm putting my voice out there, and that maybe people can tune into it and uh, get an alternative to a never ending deluge of snarky hate.
0: That I was actually going to ask you about that uh, as we went along, because I feel like I, you're right. I mean, you um, and. I have struggled, like while like while talking to you and, and to and to Kevin and other people that are more um, I, round is not the right word, but versed in a lot of different like uh, genres and in, in different in different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like there there's an openness to to that that I don't find with other people, and and, and or I should say it's rarer. Uh, and I've I've been challenging myself to be more open to things because it's easy, it's easy to make that joke. It's easy to put something in a box and label it and put it away, as opposed to to challenge yourself with, the, with, the, with why this is and, and you know how it works. I was I was going to ask you in terms of like, it does feel like it feels like it's it's the the easy thing to do is to always be on the side, like holding the lighter ray set something on fire as opposed to being the person that can dig in and for the merit. And I feel like now a lot of response to everything is who can hate something first. Right. And, and I just, I, I I have my opinions about things I don't like, you know, I've been doing the show for, for two years you know, not as long as you have, but and there's been plenty of things I've not liked and sure. I've been, I've been vocal about it. Um, I don't think I've been blind to the fact that people do like the things I don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, I, My, my last, my, the last thing I want to do ultimately is tear down, but it is, it it is a challenge sometimes when you have that initial gut like reaction of like, I don't know if I like this.
1: Well, and see, that's the thing to me. An honest response is always going to be, have value to it. And if your honest response is that you do not like it, then Fine. There's value in that. Let's explore why you don't like it. And one of the th- favorite conversations I like to have is when I f- actually find someone that hates something and can eloquently express why they hate something. <laughs> and then I can I can explain well, why I maybe like that. And we can go back and forth and we can explore – The the conversation is never with an aim towards finding out or trying to sway somebody to my side, but I love trying to figure out exactly what led them to uh, hate something that I enjoy or in in the cases for me because uh, there are some things that I really don't like and that uh, some people really do enjoy and I'm constantly pe- turning over my head well why did I respond so differently to these people including people that are very similar to me what is what is going on with me that I had such a fundamentally different response what I but what I absolutely do despise is when people are putting out hate as a product and they are putting out things that are, it just reeks of artifice. You know, people will talk about the uh, the simpering yes-men and the plants of, of the movie industry that just get super hyped about everything. But just as bad on the other side are the people whose default response is snide dismissiveness. And they have no intellectual or philosophical Backbone to sort of explore it. They they're just default setting a snark like the back of an evil Krusty doll. <laughs> I gotta I gotta yeah. throw an occasional Simpsons reference into there because I, gotta keep this shit real.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it, yeah, I, I guess maybe part of how. Uh, my opinion got got shaped and, and, and I'd say hammered against my will is that I, I worked for five years at Blockbuster and you deal with many different opinions about movies all day long and and some of them are the most like like superficial, Because people were in there, they want to spend their money, they want to get out the door, and then they ask you about a movie, and you try to articulate why you like or don't like it, and then you just kind of look at their face, and it's like, they're not listening to a word I'm saying. They just really want to root the boondock saints again, and that's what happens, you know? Ooh, Navy
1: SEALs! (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly, you know? Um, So I guess maybe part of my my, uh, reaction is like being... Being poisoned in a video store environment where like all you had was the, the big releases all the time and some smaller ones that would come through and people constantly asking you for like, like, you know, they, they want an opinion from you. That's like an aggregate of everybody, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, so it's, it's easy to go to, to one of like three answers, you know, and I, I, that's and something that I've, you know, I feel like I'm smarter than that. Um, but it's when you're doing it daily though, it's an easy, it's an easy default to go to. And I feel like since I've gotten back into, uh, you know, digging into, um, media, I've become, it's two things have happened. I've become more appreciative, but also uh, not nitpicky is not the right word, but there's always something going on in the back of my head of like, all right, well that doesn't add up. That doesn't look great that's not what should be happening and i sometimes it's hard for me to absolve the both of them
1: yeah and that could be perfectly legitimate so i mean to me it's it's and it's 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 difficult to speak about these in generalities because your response is going to be you know unique sometimes to the art that you're watching you know it would be interesting to uh, sit down and have the conversation about um ready player one for example <laughs> you you hated that book from what i've heard <laughs> I thought thought that it was, you know, it was it was a piece of fluff writing. It didn't it didn't Mm offend me. It didn't it didn't do anything, uh, you know, didn't uh, knock my socks off. It wasn't the greatest thing ever, but it was it was fine for what it was. But what I found fascinating is just how much you hated it.
0: Well, okay, that's actually a really good example, and not just because I hated it, because I did. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you did. It's just Ernest Klein sitting in your 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 freaking Delorean somewhere, just laughing all the way home. Um, (laughs) So the reason the reason I this is, and this goes to everything we've been talking about this evening, the reason why. Th- that book spiked like this fire in me isn't because of the book itself. You're, it, you're It's fluff. You're absolutely 100% right. It's fluff. It's a bathroom read. You set it down and that's that. My problem with that, and tangentially also something like The Da Vinci Code, is that um, of all the media out there, of all the different books, all the different science fiction or, or adventure like, why is this the one that people have, have been drawn to? Saying, "Oh, it's great because it talks about all these things." I know it's like, no, there is much better quality out there than this. Like, remembering things book about a guy that wrote himself as a, as a hero that could do no wrong and got and played every perfect game of every of Pac Man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, something about that 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 self masturbatory hero worship wrapped up into a nostalgia trip that people somehow said oh but it's about this kids love of the 80s it's like i i guess i got mad because it's not a well written book but enough people have liked it and bought it that somehow people are, are looking like looking to that well that was a popular book well like why whenever there's so much other better well written and and well put together items out there that people may never go to because you know what they liked Ready Player One, and they're not going to challenge themselves, and somehow Ernest Klein, right place, right time. So it's more of the overall impact of that book as opposed to the book itself, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, that, that, that totally makes sense. And while I didn't have that response with Ready Player One, there have certainly been other things out there where I have seen the, the big response to something, and uh, in the back of my mind, I wonder, well, you know, this isn't as good as this. But I like to look at that as the opportunity. You know, if somebody really loved Ready Player One, then you can kind of use that as an in to perhaps lead them in that other direction. I'm not... Will- I, 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 not. Um I'm not so quick, perhaps, to uh, immediately assume they won't be interested in doing it. It's entirely possible they won't be interested in, in subsequent exploration, but I look at it as, as, you know, an interesting fun opportunity because again, that goes back to what I, what I love about doing the podcast. It's the look and see this cool stuff. And if I can get an in with something popular to turn somebody on to something that I find uh, better than the thing that they like, and then maybe they'll go for it, maybe they won't, but at the end of the day, if I can convert one or two people over to something really cool, that's, that's a good feeling, right?
0: Absolutely. I, it just, And I, I think that's uh, the reason why I gave that book a chance to begin with, because while well, Spielberg's picking it up to make a movie, this has to be something worth reading. And then maybe, maybe my expectations were set too high because of like, well, you know, because Say, I think Spielberg. Obviously, I think people would agree he's an amazing filmmaker, sure. uh, and it's just, and he doesn't, he doesn't normally pick losers, you know. And even, even his uh, lesser efforts are still amazingly put together movies. You know, you can't take that away from him. So it's like if he is sniffing around this, saying that we need to to make this into a movie, I'm like, well, then maybe the source material is worth the time, and that maybe that's where I went into that, like. Like, you know, a little head, a little higher than, and so maybe my expectations, my expectations of the material were much higher than they could have ever been had I just picked this up for like five bucks at a half price books and just read it one afternoon. Yeah. So, and
1: I, and I partially wonder if I, from time to time, I wonder if I'm too accommodating to certain films that if they have one or two scenes that I like, that's usually enough for me to say that the film has some kind of merit. <laughs> um, I, I, I have been, uh, accused of being much too forgiving out of a lot of art, but I, and I wonder if, if some of that comes from the fact that when I was a kid, it was difficult to find a lot of the stuff that I was into because, you know, I grew up in a military family and we didn't have a whole hell of a lot of money, so there wasn't a lot of immediate access to so many things. I mean, it's one of the r- running jokes that I have anytime I talk about a fantasy movie on my show. I use the Ator the Fighting Eagle scale of <laughs> uh, of quality uh, fantasy. Ator the Fighting Eagle rep- representing the lowest level of fantasy film that I can actually watch and enjoy. So if it's slightly better, if I can put it in my head that this film is slightly better than Ator the Fighting Eagle, I'm okay with it. (laughs) And if anybody hasn't seen Ator the Fighting Eagle, I encourage you to watch it. It's a terrible movie, but it has its moments.
0: I I could get I can get behind that and like and and not to not to get too far off on this, but it's, it's kind of speaking of the same thing. Like uh, that film, The Disaster Artist, is coming out soon, and it's all oh, about yeah, like yeah. you know the Franco. Th- yeah, and making it's a the, the the movie about the room, and mm-hmm. people love the room. I, it's a ridiculous film. It was it was like you know Tommy Wiseau thought he was making this drama. And, you know, and it's not. And then he said, oh, no, it's a comedy. And we all know that he was trying to make a, a serious movie about himself. Oh, clearly. Uh, I have friends who love The Room. And I'm like, all right, well, did you want to see some Neil Breen films or something else? They're like, no, we're good. Like, And I just <laughs> wonder... Like, like, you know, like, like, I know I punish everybody with dangerous men and, like, you know, like Jim Cotta and all the other stuff, but it's like, Mm -hmm. if you, if you like this intrinsically because it doesn't make sense and it shouldn't exist, I have a whole world to show you. But no, but people I know are just not, they're, they just feel comfortable because everybody has seen the room and that's what they want to talk about, as opposed to showing somebody, I, whatever, whatever movie I'm going to find next that's terrible, I want to punch everybody with. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder that I, I feel like, It's hard to quantify this, like something like that. And then speak to bigger, we talked about Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Those are all these, these things that just kind of exist, and a lot of people know about them, and a lot of people love them. But then it just, I don't see a lot of steps out of that for most people. And again, my sample size is just what I see, so mileage may vary. I just feel like they got the one, the one you know, spaceship thing they like, the one magic thing they like, and then the one bad thing they like. And they're good. They don't need any other things. And, and I, I can't tell them they're wrong, but it just breaks my heart,
1: you know, to to a certain extent, because, you know, you, you, you you have, you are privy to what you think is this great world of undiscovered (laughs) stuff. And you want to, you want to share it with people and you think you finally found somebody that might appreciate some of the weirder things that you're into and they kind of shut, shoot you down on that. I mean, do you think that's where some of this is coming from?
0: Yeah. I mean I'm just I'm just a spurn lover. That's all really is. It's just like <laughs> it's it's, every time it's prom night, you know, it's just like here, check this out. They're like, no, I'm going with Billy. I'm like, oh god damn it.
1: Well and and it's an impulse that I am I'm, I'm certainly familiar with, and it's one that I've uh I, I try to I try to recognize when I feel myself coming onto it because the other thing that I I really don't want to be is engaging in that kind of gatekeeping mentality that can permeate so many uh, kinds of fandom out there. You know, it's the idea that you must be this geeky to pass. That somebody says that they like, uh, to use The Room, for example, they like weird cult movies. And you ask them, well, what have you seen? And it's like, oh, you know, I I like The Room, I like uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, I like any number of things that to us seem very mainstream. And you almost want to t- challenge them further, And there is a certain level of fan that will uh, kind of aggressively challenge them and say, "What? You haven't seen Holy Mountain. You haven't seen this. You haven't seen that. You, you must not be a real fan. And it it's weird that th- that's a um an opinion that toxic, that sort of uh, antagonistic. Can ultimate ultimately comes from a place of love that they love their the thing that they enjoy so much that they don't want it to be sullied by people that to them look like they're co-opting the uh, the scene the uh, the fandom. And I try to go away with that because what I keep trying to remind myself is at the end of the day. They still kind of like the stuff that I that I like. They still kind of enjoy the things that I'm I'm interested in, and ultimately, whether or not uh, they are as big of a fan as me, that has nothing to do with the stuff I enjoy. You know what I mean?
0: No, that's you're absolutely right. I need to remind myself of that. I guess I, it's it's that. It's that little kid mentality for me, and I don't feel toxic's the right way to describe a lot of that. And I'll, I'll get back to that in a moment, but it's like that little kid mentality of like, I got this cool new toy. Like, don't you like it? You know, and it's like, oh, you don't like it, and it's it's very like I get like, and my wife can testify to this. She gets frustrated with me uh, all the time uh, about <laughs> like I'm like this is great, and then, like you know like like I love Miami Connection. I think that is a wonderful um weird like there's heart in that movie she cannot stand that film and it blows my mind you know (laughs) and i'm like but why don't you like it there's people they're singing upbeat songs and they do taekwondo and she doesn't like it um so so i get that but i was going to ask you because so you your your show talk without rhythm which everybody should be listening to like you should listen to every episode it's a a long it's a long journey um (laughs) you you go all over the place with some real deep dives in some very specific areas of genre. How often do you feel like you run up against that, that, um, that gatekeeping with that? Cause I feel like there's some, there's some real like high shelf stuff that you go to that isn't necessarily known to most people.
1: I mean, every once in a while, and it, it usually doesn't come up in the context of the show. A lot of times it'll come up in the context of, um, Well, what used to be forums, and now these days are just Facebook groups because nobody seems to want to post on long-form forums anymore, where you will every every once in a while run up against someone that their attitude is inherently antagonistic. That to to them, enjoyment of certain things uh, is viewed as taking away from other things. And I'm I'm tr- I'm speaking in generalities because I don't want to necessarily throw anybody under the bus, including some listeners that may experience this. But every once in a while, you'll run up uh, run up against somebody that wants a challenge that will think that they are the top shit for enjoying this, or for knowing more, for uh, being more view- widely viewed than anybody else, and will kind of sort of set up those sort of barriers to entry. My whole thing is that at the end of the day, they don't control the movies I watch. They don't control what I have to say about them. And ultimately, they don't control the kind of movies that, uh, the sort of shit that I'm into. It doesn't matter if they think that I'm not, I'm not as into it as they are. And if they want to judge me about that, fine. I don't have to listen to them because at the end of the day, what I do for my show and what I do in my life is ultimately self centered. I, th- I seek out the shit that I enjoy and then I try to share it with people. I don't give a damn what anybody (laughs) else has to say about that. You know, I mean, I've gotten one of the uh, frequent places I've gotten flack, both uh, serious and lighthearted, especially with uh, horror films, because, you know, even though I watch a lot of other movies, uh, I'm primarily a horror fan. That's one of those fandoms that I resonate very, very strongly with is the fact that I am not a huge fan of uh, the Italian crime uh, thrillers that are often referred to as giallo or gialli. They just don't work for me, and I've tried. I've tried watching them. I've 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 done a lot of deep dives. I've gone beyond the surface. I've sought out as many different resources of them I can, and I've at this point I've almost kind of resolved myself to the fact that it's just a style of filmmaking, a style of storytelling that just doesn't work for me. Some of my friends accept that. They might they might thro- uh, throw some uh, flack my way for uh, preferring the work of Lucio Fulci over Dario Argento. But you know that that's it's all good good natured. And if I ever run up against somebody that wants to seriously come at me for not enjoying a jalo, I don't care. <laughs> Let them.
0: <laughs> that's fair. I just feel like so like in in the, the circles that we keep, uh, and I've talked about this on the show before the the, the Cinema Wasteland uh, convention that happens every uh, six months here in Ohio. Um, I always feel like a stranger in a strange land in the sense of like, and then this is me being general. I'm like the one person not wearing a black shirt. I'm walking around like, you know, in jeans, not like a jean jacket or whatever. Like, And it's like, I feel like I'm always kind of like, like visiting with friends, but I don't always feel like I belong there. And I, and I, that's the, there's, there's a, a, not intimidation, but I just realized there's a number of conversations that I'll have no point of reference going on. And I'm not saying that I won't listen and I'm not uh, trying to experience it. I just feel like there's just some stuff there that I don't think will ever, ever appeal to me. But that doesn't mean I don't like the people that are there.
1: Yeah. And really, that's the reason I keep going back to Wasteland. I I go there for the people. Um, I could get any of the things that are for sale there elsewhere. Um, I go there for for the camaraderie. I go there for to find people that have common interests. And so many of my friends in there are way more knowledgeable about those films than I am. And, yeah, you can feel a little bit uh, left out every once in a while, but you're still there to just uh, kind of commune with some like-minded individuals. And clearly you have friends there.
0: Yeah, you I have mean, a good time yeah. while you're there. I have one or two friends there. I don't know. <laughs> um, so uh, ultimately, this, this may sound like a silly question, but I'm curious. Would you consider yourself a critic? Like, as in the sense, like, you do a podcast, you talk about films, but would you consider yourself a critic? Uh,
1: That is always a phrase that I try to distance myself from, if only just because, and this is entirely personal, I was raised in a uh, tradition of the professional critic, the ones that uh, get paid for that. And I think that my approach is much less... um, Rigorous, much less structured, and ultimately a little bit more freeing than the confines of uh, a traditional critic. I, I often say uh, the, the things I, I do on the show, they're not reviews, they're they're conversations. I'm not a critic, I'm a fan. And it might be a... A distinction that makes only sense to me, (laughs) but uh, ultimately I'm not getting paid for it. So I don't consider myself to be a critic. And if I was getting paid for it, I would probably change my approach to discussing films. And so much of this has to do with the fact that I do read professional criticism. I consider the work of Pauline Kael or going back to Mark Twain when he wrote his critical reviews, because that's something that he's not often called out for is that he was an amazing critic. And he knew the foundational, fundamental, and um, technical skills that actually make engaging criticism. And there's, there's a – I took classes from a local Cleveland critic who writes to the uh, Plain Dealer, Mark DeWidziak. If you ever come across his name, he's an excellent, excellent critic. And he's what's incur- really helped, um, helped re- define my distinction between a critic and a fan. At the end of the day, I'm a fan. My goal is really not to dissect. My goal is to is to advocate and explore. So that's that's really what I what I seek out to do. I nev- I've deliberately avoid uh, programming movies on my show that I think I will dislike. I I do not find any value in the hate watch. Uh, one time on the show, I left it up to my uh, audience members to pick an episode or p- pick a movie for the show that the, the only, um, the, the only <laughs> uh, rule was that it had to be released in 1985 because it was the year I was born. And overwhelmingly, based upon the poll, I ended up talking about the Care Bears movie. <laughs> and I knew what they wanted. They wanted to punish me with a with, you know, a, a children's uh, uh, cartoon, not a good one, by the way. <laughs> And really, I took that. It's like, well, I could spend the entire time bitching about this movie or I can lay out my essential philosophy of why I don't think those those cathartic bitching uh, things really have much value for that. Because to me, I think there's enough there's enough um, there's enough pain and displeasure in the world without me necessarily adding to it. So everything I book on the show is stuff that I think, even if I haven't seen it, that I think I may enjoy or that I'm interested in seeing. I don't hate watch. A critic doesn't necessarily have the uh, liberty to make that distinction. They're called upon to provide a critical response to pretty much everything, especially if they're an active working critic. I'm just a fan, so I'm going to seek out the stuff that I enjoy.
0: So would you say that when your fans your fans, sorry, fan, your listeners picked out that movie, you gave them the care bear stare. I and,
1: think I did a little bit.
0: Yeah. You're like, you guys are going to bring me down. This is what's going to happen here. That's wonderful.
1: Well, it's, it's again, trying to find value in everything. And if uh, I, I could spend 20 minutes discussing how much I hate the Care Bears, or I could use that as a springboard to talk about something else.
0: And, and, and just, you know, just to clarify, you did watch the Boneyard as part of your 31 days of Halloween <laughs> cycle.
1: I liked your, the Boneyard.
0: I'm not saying I like, I, if, if I remember like watching it, it was, it was, it had, it was better than it had any right being at times. And I, yeah. and I feel like I, I said that at the time when we watched it last year. Uh, and it was like, because the first part of it was so disjointed. So I, I like, whatever you talked about how I gave it a thousand yard stare, it was more like, I was honestly curious as to, to what redeeming qualities you're going to f- find in it. And what you found redeeming in it was way different than what I found redeeming in it. And for a movie as... As easily forgettable as the boneyard. That's interesting that there's two like that. There was multiple viewpoints that could be taken away from a movie that had a mutant portal in it.
1: <laughs> and that's what I love about movies, man. That's what I love about art. We're each bringing something different to it, and so much of the enjoyment I get of listening to podcasts or listening to responses to art is predicated upon people adding something personal into it and that's another reason that i try to avoid calling myself a critic because one of the things that was drilled into me when i was trying to uh learn the formal art of being a critic was the tendency towards removing your personal voice one of the things that i uh, that uh mr dowidziak said that in our in our class that we took on reviewing television and film is that until you get super established i mean we're talking top tier established you must never use the word i because they're not interested in you they're interested in the thing you're talking about and your ability to dissect that thing and parse it out and provide a response that doesn't have any appeal to me to be the i is everything because the i is the only unique thing that i can bring to the conversation I can I can easily find people that are way more knowledgeable about anything that I could possibly talk about but the only thing that I have unique to to bring that is different than anybody else is me is that I
0: Yeah, I, and I I agree. Uh, I just um I was just I, I guess it, in terms of uh, a critical critical eye that there's the word critic in it I was just curious because I feel like there is in your case there's observation and discussion but there is dissection. So sure. I, and that's, you know, I'm just curious as to how you felt about it and you, you explained it. And, and I, I always strive for understanding when I talk about any of these things that I try, like, and I don't want to mention this here when I, uh, pimp the blog and been watching these Westerns, I've been trying to see them like, as in like, there, there's something here. There's a reason why they were recommended to me. What is it? And I'm trying to clarify why I think that is. And I, I feel like sometimes. My reactions are more just emotional or surface level, and I I don't know if I feel like I if I miss the nuts and bolts, and I try to to articulate that better, and I I just didn't know how. I guess there's not really a question in that, but I feel like whenever you do your preps for your films, like when you talk about the discussion before the films, like you you go in and lay the groundwork for who's in it, you know what it is, and how it happened. And I feel like that is a much better foundation to have a discussion about what the film is as opposed to saying, yeah, and then some guy got his hand cut off, and that was pretty cool, you know? Yeah. So well,
1: That's that's one of the things I do try to avoid. There are, there are certain people that just want to – it will essentially be a long recap of the plot, and it's like, ah, I really hate that. <laughs> That's yeah, boring.
0: I well, I and I, I know that's kind of what Kevin and I do on the Twilight Zone show is that we do run through the plot, but I feel like we try to we try to put meat on that skeleton because it's a twenty minute long episode, you know exactly,
1: and, and exactly. And it would it would be because that you are dealing with short form entertainments in the form of the Twilight Zone that it would be very difficult to have a meaningful conversation about something that's so short.
0: It'd be like a three minute episode, and like twist, we're out. It'd be amazing, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, I have really enjoyed talking about the dissection and you know the the, the ruminating of media with you, uh, and I always appreciate listening to where you go with your shows, whether it's jumping vampires or um, <laughs> which the the zhangxi, which I didn't realize that I, I was aware of them more so than I thought after you talked about them. So there you go, people, you should check out the Chinese uh, hopping vampire. Um,
1: always fun. So, yeah. Uh,
0: so. Um, I I, I don't really have a pen to put into this conversation other than I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the discussion, and I know that's what you always strive for, and I think that's the ultimate goal of any of these things is to be able to share those ideas. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk about the expression of ideas.
1: Oh, of course, man. I mean, I I, I love uh, your show, and I lo- I love your voice that you bring to these conversations. And so, I hell, this was a great way to spend an evening, just having a, a good conversation with a good guy. Oh,
0: excellent! So we're not done yet. Uh, nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. We're not done yet. But first, before we get to the, the last bit here, I'm just going to say you guys can, you guys can find me uh, on our Facebook page, Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, the, that's where there's blog posts there uh, on our, also on our website, Invasion I am 16 films into my 30 film year of the Western, which is now becoming a mad rush of three months of the Western. Um, however, I'm going through a roller coaster of emotions, and I'm sure you can uh, relate to this more than me because this is my first time watching some of these movies. I had just finished watching, uh, Sergio Carbucci's, uh, the mercenary, which okay. was fun. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, uh, it's, it's Franco Nero lighting like matches off of everybody. It's pretty funny. Uh, I'm down. And, and, and the great silence, Okay. Uh, which have you, I don't know if you've seen that one or not, but nope, that's another one. Oh. Uh, that the if i could make a request for your show because all i want to do is just like have a bucket and openly weep into it after watching that movie because it's such a it's i don't want to say anything else about it i wrote about it on the blog i kind of spoiled the movie because i feel it's hard for me to write about what happens what well, my like mm-hmm. context but i i just i think that'd be right up your alley that's all i got to say about that like uh, if uh it's it's a it's it's a sledgehammer of a movie, but and it's a Western and it's in the snow and it's and, and basically you watch that. And you're like, oh, hey, Tarantino, I know exactly where you got your visual aesthetic from for the hateful eight. Um, <laughs> and it's and it's pretty obvious. Um, but you guys could check out that. I know I'm watching. I think I'm watching Once Upon a Time in the West. Uh, oh, next
1: I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Hearing your thoughts on that.
0: Um, I've you know, I I'm so bad about the movies I should have seen by now. Like, and I feel like a lot of like, I finally sit down and finished the good, the bad and the ugly this year. And I know I've not seen once upon a time in the West. I feel like I've missed out on some of these great Epic movies, but I don't think I was ready to appreciate them at the time. So I like this experiment. So you guys can check that out on the blog. Um, uh, we're on Twitter, innovating podcast. We have an email address, blah, 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 blah. Oh How can people find you and your things?
1: All right, well, uh, there's the main website, TWORpodcast.blogspot.com. We're also on Facebook as a group uh, and also a page that you can like. But uh, the group, I'm, tr- I'm trying to promote that a little bit more because it's all about having a conversation. and The group seems to be a little bit better at pulling that off than the regular pages. So just do a search for Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Ask to join. I'll let you in. And really, that's how you find me on pretty much any platform because we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Music. You do a search for Talk Without Rhythm. You will find it. It's pretty easy to do. And I think everybody's Google foo is pretty well uh Pretty well defined at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So
1: yeah.
0: Um, all right. So uh we're gonna wrap this up with a little bit of a, a Thanksgiving themed game. So just one moment.
1: Time to play the game.
0: Time to play the game. <laughs> A surprising lack of wrestling talk through this last hour. I just want to point that out.
1: See, uh, you, you couldn't see it, but I spit my water all over my office. My dog is not pleased.
0: <laughs> well, you got to get ready for the game. So,
1: um, I'm, I'm not even going to lie. Triple H is one of my favorite wrestlers. He's awesome. Yeah, and he I is.
0: And, um, so, uh, there's not going to be a, a show next week. It is the holiday week. I just a lot going on. So, there's no, no, the no episode next week, guys. There's going to be one after. I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. However. I was trying to come up with something to wrap up the show, and the one, the one Thanksgiving movie that people talk about all the time is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Rightfully so. That seems like the big one people watch around this time, not necessarily around Christmas, but it's a good film to watch around Thanksgiving. So um, my, my challenge for you is I have questions here that involve Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, but it's oh all pop culture. All right. Okay. So okay. And some of these some of these are a little weird, but I, I think that, you know, I think you know a lot more than than some of the people, like in terms of like pop culture, just like stuck in your head. I think you're going to think you're going to do okay with this.
1: So you're setting me up here and I'm, I'm just going to fail miserably <laughs> and down in flames.
0: Yeah. Man, you get, there's 30. We'll run through them real fast. So uh, and, let's I, do it. And I'm not keeping score, but we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and do this. So um, what does the acronym KIT stand for?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> I think I've watched one or two episodes oh, of Night Rite. Okay. That's about it.
0: Uh, Night Industries 2000, whatever that is. So I had a bonus question about what car stands for. We're gonna we're gonna skip right past
1: that. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Chris Evans was in a Snowpiercer, a sci-fi film about the world freezing. What other sci-fi film was he in with the possibility of the Earth freezing?
1: Oh hell, um, I should know this actually. do world freezing.
0: Yeah, the Earth was slowly freezing.
1: Wait a minute was wasn't that uh, the B plot in Rise of the Silver Surfer?
0: Um, maybe. maybe. I <laughs> Does anybody that. remember that movie? No, I just uh, uh, was he in the core? No, I don't think he was in the core. And okay, it was Sunshine.
1: Sunshine. So, yeah. Oh man, I haven't seen that in years.
0: Oh, that's that's one of my favorites. But I just figured, you know, I was trying to think of a good question involving Snowpiercer because that's a good movie too. So that,
1: excellent film. Yeah. Excellent film.
0: Um. What is the name of the small airline on the TV show Wings?
1: I have no idea. (laughs) Dude, I was born in 1985. So I, you could watch reruns. I don't know. I like, did watch reruns of Wings.
0: Okay, I was gonna say because USA, I think that's all they showed.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm pretty it, sure. It it's, was, it's up to the point that anytime I see that actor again, it's like what Stephen Weber. It's like, oh, it's the dude from Wings.
0: Yeah, Sandpiper Air.
1: So all right, Sandpiper Air.
0: Okay, this one you're gonna get, and this one I wrote down, and I noticed uh, this is completely unrelated to you watching this when I was like uh, the other night. So it wasn't creeping you. Uh, what model car does Garth own in Wayne's World?
1: <laughs> Was that a Pacer? It is. He had? It's AMC okay. Pacer. It's TNC Pacer. Yeah. Oh, well, here's a tribute for you. What did they call the car?
0: The Mirthmobile.
1: Yes! Yeah.
0: Yeah. I See, that movie came out in 96. So I think it was 96, wasn't it? No,
1: no, no. It was much earlier than that. No. I think it was like 91.
0: Oh, 91, yeah. That's right. That, like, so it was my high school years. That's all I watched on a loop was Wayne's World.
1: That was the movie that introduced me uh, to Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Everybody, I think. Everybody that wasn't yeah. around. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right, next question. This is Stephen King. There, there, there's three Stephen King questions in here, I think. Okay. What model, in uh, bonus point, if you know year, was Christine?
1: Oh, hell. Um, mm, <laughs> I should know this. <laughs> All right, let's see if I can get it. I'll see if it was it a Plymouth.
0: It was a Plymouth.
1: Okay, Plymouth. I don't uh, I want to say Fury. You, <laughs> that's yep, not right.
0: That's right as well.
1: Holy shit. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's just throw out a number, uh,
0: 57, 58. So you're, oh, uh, close. Yeah. Cause everybody wants to think that thing's a 57 Chevy. That, that's not right. It's a little uglier than that. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. That's all probably right. where I got the 57 from. Um,
0: all right. This next one, we'll see how this goes. Which member of the A team was terrified of flying? Oh, that was Mr. T. Yeah. There you go. B.A. Baracus. Well, B.A. Yeah, Baracus. have yeah. right. Mr. T. It's fine. Yeah. Um, it works. This one, just because I know you listen to, to, to the Twilight Zone Straight Highway show. I've mentioned this before, and it's just a weird, weird show. What was the name of the very short-lived land-based 1979 NBC TV series that was supposed to compete with a love boat?
1: Super Train. There you
0: go. All right. Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: all right. We're Wh- still keeping an eye out for episodes of that, along with Johnny Midnight and uh, *Hawaii Eye. I. I, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, which actor voiced the character of Lyle Landley, the man who sold the monorail to Springfield, on the Simpsons episode, Marge Versus the Monorail? What, was that Phil Hartman? It was Phil Hartman. Wait. Yeah. See, there you go. Some Simpsons stuff in there. Um, next Stephen King question. Uh, we know Blaine the Mono. Who was the female counterpart?
1: Oh, The sh- Blaine the Mono and... Um Christ, I just read that book, too. <laughs> I do not remember her name.
0: Uh, Patricia. I had to look it up. Patricia. I didn't know. I didn't yep. remember myself. All right. What mother and Sam Jackson film was originally called Pacific Air Flight 121?
1: Snakes on a plane. There you go. Yeah. Nice.
0: All right. <laughs> what Cheech and Chong film involves them driving a van made out of pot?
1: Oh, that prob- I don't think that was up in smoke.
0: It was up in smoke.
1: It was up in smoke. There you go. All right. Then I did think it was up in smoke. <laughs> it was all intentional.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, what was the name of the uh, the 86 supernatural horror film that used the prototype car, the Dodge M4S Turbo Interceptor?
1: I'm going Oh, the Turbo Interceptor? Yeah. 86? Yeah. Uh was that The Wraith? That was The Wraith. Yes.
0: See, I like I I know you would know some of this stuff. That's why I was trying yep. to really dig deep. Um, all right. Who played machine gun Joe Turbo in Death Race 2000?
1: Oh, that was uh, Sebastian
0: Stallone. Yes. Um, all right. See, I, I, just, I just knew. We got oh, some. We got some. Um, <laughs> the, this 1976 film was set on a train, was the first of four films with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder teaming up.
1: Oh, set on a train?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So it wasn't uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil, Silver Streak? Yep. Yay, got it.
0: Uh, an airplane, with the exclamation point, well, when, when the flight crew gets food poisoning, what emergency method is deployed to fly the plane? <laughs>
1: the, the autopilot, the inflatable autopilot. Yeah,
0: auto the autopilot.
1: Auto the autopilot. <laughs> yeah. With um, the uh, strategically placed air tube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, all right. Who are the two actors in the car driving at night during the opening of the Twilight Zone movie while listening to the midnight special?
1: Uh, that was Dan Aykroyd and oh hell, what is his name? Um God, I Albert Brooks. Yep.
0: Cool. Uh in Con Air, Nicolas Cage was named the shitty name Cameron Poe. What character did John Malkovich play?
1: Cyrus the Virus. Yeah. I <laughs> love it.
0: Uh here's the third Stephen King question. Uh in the Stevie Stephen King TV miniseries The Langoliers, who played batshit crazy passenger Craig Toomey?
1: Oh, wasn't it cousin Balky from Perfect <laughs> Perfect Strangers?
0: That's correct. It was Bronson Pinchot.
1: Bronson Pinchot, thank you.
0: <laughs> uh, what was the name of the film that Mark Hamill made before Empire Strikes Back?
1: Oh, what did he do? I know, I know. Between uh, the the two, he got into a car accident and really messed up his face. Yeah. Um. Hmm. What What movie did he do though? I don't remember.
0: Corvette Summer. That's okay. the one he was doing. Like, he got in the accident right before the filming of that. So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Danny Trejo's first film appearance is as a prison boxer in this 1985 canon film starring John Voight and Eric Roberts. What is it?
1: Mm, I, th- I should know this one. Um, nope, I don't got it. Runaway train. Runaway train
0: which I watched that for the first time last year. It's actually, that's a really good movie. It's a, I've heard good things about it. It's a little it's a little weird. I mean, it's a canon film, but it's really good. Um, how many charges are needed to get the train up to 88 miles per hour in Back to the Future Part 3?
1: Ooh, was it three?
0: Yes, it was. Yes. Bonus, what was the name of the ravine after Marty came back to the future? <laughs>
1: um, oh, geez, what was it called? Because um, it was like Dead Teacher's Ravine first, and... No, what did they call? What was the new name for it? I uh, don't remember.
0: Eastwood Ravine, because he called Eastwood, himself. Eastwood. Yep, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, all right, we're almost done here. I'm, 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 cool. I'm enjoying this a great deal. Me uh, too. What Queen song was featured in the 1986 uh, Top Gun knockoff, Iron Eagle?
1: What Queen song? Yeah, I haven't seen Iron Eagle. Oh, so um, <laughs> another one bites the dust, oh, uh, which is a kind of a savage song to use <laughs> in a playing movie. Yeah, uh,
0: One Vision. That, oh, okay, uh, yeah. Um, what is the name of the airliner in the TV show lost?
1: I don't know. Well, was it like Pacific something? I didn't watch lost.
0: Oh, it was oceanic airlines, which by the way, I found out that that's what TV shows and movies generally uses the, like the generic name of an airline that's about to crash. They Got don't want to associate that with anybody, but yeah, it was oceanic.
1: They should associate it with United. <laughs> <hell> it. <with> United. <laughs> um,
0: what is the name of the 1996 film which Steven Seagal's character dies surprisingly early while trying to board a plane?
1: Oh, mm. I, I, I'm visualizing. It's got Carussell in it. Um,
0: has one of the most generic names ever of any movie.
1: Yeah. It's, it's got to be something like executive decision or That's terminal at, velocity. Or, executive decision. You're absolutely okay. Right. It is yeah. one of those. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, I was reading about that. And evidently, Seagal didn't like the way his character went out as early as mm-hmm. it did. And he actually protested and didn't want to be on set until they said, you signed a contract. You better do it. So he go. was trying to get more screen time, which does not surprise me.
1: And you uh, wonder why he's not actively working in Hollywood anymore, you know, <laughs> other than the, uh, well, the other enslavement stuff. enslavement and <laughs> <yeah>. human trafficking <laughs> and the,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, what car is in every Sam Raimi film?
1: Oh, I forget the, the, uh, I know they refer to it as the classic
0: that that's right. It's a 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88.
1: That's what it is.
0: And do you know why he supposedly keeps it in every movie?
1: Well, I, I know, I believe the story was, it was his car that, uh, because it originally showed up in evil dead and then it's a kind of a good luck charm.
0: Uh, Bruce says it's because it's the first time that that's where Sam Raimi lost his uh, virginity. So he wants to yeah. keep it around. I don't know how true that is, but it sounds like a Bruce Campbell response.
1: I do uh, know that by the end of evil dead Two, they pretty much destroyed that car.
0: <laughs> yeah. The way they dropped it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Um, what 2004 animated film has a motion capture Tom Hanks with dead
1: eyes? Oh God. Um, oh polar express yes all right
0: uh who is tom Cruise's, or i should say what is tom Cruise's main sponsor on his nascar vehicle on days of thunder
1: mm, i haven't seen days of thunder so oh. i'm gonna go with miller Coors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's mellow yellow uh, that's no. like
1: yeah all right. fair enough yeah all right
0: well okay then what was the the sponsor on ricky bobby's car in talladega nights at the very beginning
1: Oh, I should. But uh, was it Wonder Bread?
0: Uh, it was Laughing Clown Malt Liquor. Was the very first one.
1: <laughs> it's uh, been a long time since I saw Talladega Nights. Oh. I know that's like one of Kevin's favorite movies. I enjoyed that
0: movie a great deal. All right, so there three, you go. Three to go. Um, what was the luxury car featured in RoboCop? The one that was mm-hmm. in all the advertisements, and I know uh, they I showed it. Don't
1: I? I, I know that the uh, the the initials for it was SUX. A, but I don't. I don't remember who made it.
0: It was the six thousand SUX. I don't know who. The actually, six thousand SUX. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> who was the vice president? You can just name the actor if you know who it is. That was an Air Force One.
1: The vice president? Yeah. I. Oh. Wait. Maybe. No. It's gone. <laughs> uh, was it a woman? It was a woman. Was it Angela Bassett? No. Who was it? Glenn Close. Glenn Close. Okay. I I should have gone with the other classy lady.
0: Yeah. All right. And the last one, uh, it's a Nick Cage question. Other than both Ghostwriter films, what other movie has Nick Cage starred in in which he's a supernatural force seeking revenge?
1: Drive Angry, one of the most underappreciated films of all time.
0: Yeah. That that movie's a lot of fun.
1: I love that movie.
0: So there you go. There were some questions about planes, trains, and automobiles. Thank you for being a good sport about that. I appreciate it.
1: I appreciate Uh, that.
0: (laughs) All right. So, um, yeah, that's going to do it uh, for the show. Like I said, no show next week. Uh, Week after that, Steve's back. We're going to be talking about Justice League and also comparing it to some of the animated DC fare, like some of the Justice Mm -hmm. League stuff like that, see how it compares and contrasts in terms of tone and characters. That should be a lot of fun. I don't want to hate cast Justice League, but it may it may happen. So we'll I don't see. know,
1: but it, in, in comparison to the animated, unless that Justice League movie has Jeffrey Combs coming back and playing the question, I don't see how it could possibly measure up.
0: I, I, yeah, I'm, I agree with that. Or Nathan Fillion being Green Lantern. <laughs> right? Um, right. <laughs> so, so yeah, that'll be in two weeks. Um, but, again, Elgor, well, thank you again uh, for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. This was a lot of fun.
1: Anytime, man. This was a hell of a lot of fun, and I definitely want to come back Anytime.
0: Cool. All right, so everybody, well you have you have a good holiday and everybody else you out too. there have a good holiday and we will see you in 2 weeks.
1: Bye.